I mean, to give an example, and I only learned this later, but in terms of the London Stock Exchange, there were 23 attempts before someone could break its uh, monopoly hold. Oh, really? I didn't know. So, that. so it, it is incredibly difficult. But when I left Investec, he said, he called me up literally the same day. He said, Kev, <laughs> we've got to have coffee. We've got to talk about this. This is it. And, and that really was the, the, the starting point. We sat down and had coffee, and I said, you know, I'm a sucker for a challenge, and I, you know, I, the concept really, really appealed to me. I've you know, been engaging with them. I get really excited by challenger brands. There's just something about the underdog in a fight, the wild card in a tournament, or the taking on of the status quo that gets my blood pumping. The voice you just heard belongs to Kevin Brady, the CEO of A2X, the healthy competition that has ended the stock exchange monopoly here in South Africa. He's also one of A2X's co-founders. On the surface of it, it appears as though they recently turned 12 months old. But digging a little deeper, what one begins to see is a journey that has been much longer and filled with all the twists and turns, commitment, frustrations, moments of elation, periods of angst and everything else that entrepreneurs endure. I was originally meant to meet with Kevin for our Meet the CEO podcast. But our conversation naturally went the way of another podcast we produce, Startup of the Week, where we sit with CEOs and founders of new brands and businesses that seem to be doing all the right things. It then naturally circled back towards Kevin and his many years of experience that seem to have prepared him for this moment and also those to come. This is a conversation rich in value and opportunities for growth for both high potential and seasoned veteran alike. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. So you think about it, I mean, as you say, the stock exchange is kind of like the center of capitalism, mm. yet there's only one. Mm. I mean, where's the irony in that? So I think what we've seen is with the development of technology, you can now create an environment with multiple venues and technology deals with some of the challenges we had have historically. Like in any industry, competition has a really positive outcome for the end user. It's like ESCOM. You know, we all sit here and we're frustrated. Can you imagine if you had a choice? That's what we're trying to bring to the exchange space. Let's talk a little bit about the journey. Where's this come from? Well, we're a little over a year old. And when I say that, we opened our doors for business in October last year. Mm. But to get to that was a journey. So it took us uh, probably about three years to get to that point. Prior to that, the key was to get a, an exchange license. Uh, and that in itself took us 22 months. Prior to that, it was now let's try and unpack a value proposition and a model that could work in South Africa. You know, when you look at look at the all the all, all the all the the links in the chain, you know, you've got asset managers, you've got a whole lot of them. You've got on the other side, you've got companies, you've got a whole lot of them, you've got a whole lot of brokers, but you've only got this one person in the middle, mm. the JSC. So it sparked some thoughts, and and we thought um, we could do it. You had an idea. There was a concept. You had these skills. But how do you suddenly go from there to having enough money to start an alternative stock exchange? Yes, so th there is a gap there in the time. So that gap involved a couple of things. Uh, it involved meeting the regulator, right? getting a really good understanding of what was required. It involved a trip to London to unpack uh, exchange technology. How, how actually, in fact, one of the new exchanges, in fact, the, the guy who was involved in breaking the LSE monopoly, Chiex, mm. had then, when they got bought out, had launched another exchange called Aquarius, which is actually being hugely successful, spending time with people like that, spending time with brokers, spending time with asset managers, trying to put all this together, unpacking uh, the JSE and modeling it. 
So, yes. So, so there was probably a six-month period in there of research, due diligence, yeah, and, learn, and getting learn, to learn, a point yeah. where we knew, we, we felt we knew maybe 70% of it, and the 30% was still unknown, but let's take a thumbsuck and give it a shot. We had enough information that we felt was possible. And then, you know, in terms of, of, of the founders, clearly they were the first set of funders. And because they're involved in the industry, I think they could see the potential for this. So we have now graduated from an idea into a, a bought-in idea. <laughs> an idea that feels like it's been de-risked a little bit. Yes. <laughs> and, and then suddenly you have to now start creating something. Yes. Where to from here? What we did is we said, okay, we, we've got to that point where we feel we've got enough information to take the next step. So we set up a company and we employed three people, including myself. And what we did is we got the application form and we started unpicking it. And we started trying to develop a model. We kind of knew high level where we wanted to go, but unpicking parts of it that we didn't know. Uh, we brought in a lot of experts to help us. We we used all our networks to, to unpack, unpack it. And eventually we got, we got to a space where we could actually blueprint it. Mm. And to get a license in, in South Africa is quite, a, quite an onerous process. You've got to tick you know, all the boxes in the FMA. You've got to further the objects of the act. And so as that process, we, we, we unpacked it. And then we got to the stage where we decided that we're, not, we, we're in a position. Let's submit this for, for approval. And that in itself was an incredibly long journey. That was another 22 months. <laughs> This is 2014 yeah. to 2017, and that's almost almost doors open. Yeah. What were you feeling at the point of almost doors open? So, it, look, it was a crazy time, actually, because while you blueprint it, your investment, you, you're not spending the big money. You have mm. to spend money to get there, but you're not spending the big money, that, the infrastructure. So once you have your license, that's when you start spending. Now, one of the conditions of our license was that we'd be open for business in six months. Oh, wow. Which, From issue. So, so we were like, we were like <laughs> early April. We were like, we spent 22 months getting approval and working with you, and you've given us six months six to open months. the doors. <laughs> now, the, the, the funny thing is, crazy as it felt, it actually worked in our favor. Okay. Because one, it gives you a very strong deadline. Mm. And when you go to market to say, we will open our doors in six months' time, they go, oh, that's not a good time. Yeah, no, we've got ITAC, there's uh, Mifid 2, there's this, there's that. And you go, well, look, it's not really our choice. The timing's set by the regulator, that's D-Day. Mm. Now, I'm sure we could have got an extension if we needed it, but I must say we worked. We, we put the, I mean, just putting together a team in six months is hard work to get yeah. the right people. Now, clearly, we'd obviously done a lot of homework before then, but just to put the team in place, to build up an infrastructure of an exchange that is going to compete with the JSC. I mean, it's the 19th biggest exchange in the world. They use good technology. We said, if we're going to compete, we're going to need better technology. Mm. So, you know, you think about building that out, putting the people in place, training them up, uh, getting issuers listed, getting brokers connected. It was a crazy six months. Mm. I, I, I will say that as we neared the time, we, you know, I, I would say we weren't sure up until maybe two weeks before we would even go live. Oh, really? And suddenly we'd worked all these streams and they all came together beautifully. And, you, you know, we could have a a sigh and, and, and pushed through it and all successfully opened. So yeah, it was an intense period, but it was an incredible moment after all that time to open our doors and to say, South Africa, you now have choice. You have an alternative exchange where you can list and trade your, mm. your shares. Mm. 
there must have been a great deal of work knocking on doors, trying to convince people that this is where you need to be listing, at least some kind of alternative listing, come and do it now. Before we go there, could you have done it by yourself? No, absolutely not. In fact, it actually is the mix of skills and the people, and then behind that, the team. That is what makes it possible, actually. You know, we set up a team, we said, uh, despite the founders, we had a guy that ran technology for one of the international brokers, UBS. Mm. We had a guy out of the JSC who'd been the company secretary. Mm. Uh, we'd used post-trade experts, uh, both internationally and locally. You know, and then when you go to set it up, you need, you, you need people with the right experience. For us, it was, it was more than that, though. If you have to find the skill, and bearing in mind, there's not many places to find the skill because there's only yeah. been one venue. Yeah was then to say, you've got to have your culture right. You need people that will buy into this dream and believe in changing the financial landscape. There's an art to that. I don't know if there's a science. <laughs> I mean, you're the smarter person in the room here. Is there a science to it, perhaps? I don't know if there's a science to it. I think for me, it was looking for people that got excited about doing something different. It was about that journey. It was about changing the landscape and would look at things differently. And, mm. you know, we interviewed a lot of people, but, you know, we've all been in the industry. So you start identifying key people. You say they would fit. Yeah. yeah look, we've, we've got 90% of it right, actually, I think. Okay, um, that's, a, that's a good hit rate. But that's years of practice of, of, of hiring. <laughs> <laughs> Best practice, yes. Okay. Your first client. Did you sign a first client at least in principle before opening? Was it only after? So... Yes, this is where you go from, this is a great idea, there's a great value proposition, everyone's supportive, but turning support into action actually is very different. It's easy to talk, different to do. And we were fortunate that we had uh, three companies that came in for the journey. So when we talked about the shareholders, so in, I think it was April 17, actually just before we got the license, African Rainbow Capital came in as a, a key shareholder, took okay. a 20% stake which was a, a huge message of, of endorsement for us and also, you know, a funder that's empowered and with incredibly deep pockets. Mm. They came in, they understood the model. They came for day one, they were listed. Mm. Um, obviously, uh, Peregrine, we had very strong relationships with, came in. And, and very importantly, actually, Coronation Fund Managers, which is one of the leading asset managers in South Africa and mm. have been at the forefront of their industry, supported us. I mean, they, you know, there's high risk for these guys. This is mm. untested in South Africa. Mm. They, they, they were quite clear, don't mess it up. <laughs> Not in stronger words. <laughs> and then we'd managed to uh, bring on some of the leading stockbrokers who also, you know, innovators like the R&B Morgan Stanley, mm. the Investex, the, the Lachar Perisex, brought them on in terms of, okay, we'll, we will do what we need to do to be there on day one. And that was a journey, you know, we brought them along for the ride from, you know, the earlier days. Mm. And it really points to how important relationships are. Yes. A word, a word or two around relationships and, and maybe re relationship development even. One of the benefits we had with the broken community is that, you know, my background was broking and mm. Ashley had obviously been a, a vendor to the brokers, we, we were, were known, right? And I think comes back to the people you need to be trusted trust i was about right? to say i, I think there's there's something to be known or to hold another ball game to be trusted trusted so so it was important when you set this thing up you've got to have built that up and that comes with the years of, of, of who you are and what you do and, mm. and we had 
sufficient trust to get us over the line. Mm. Um, and yes, it was an, relationships to, to start a business are vital because you need to be able to go to your relationships and say, look, support us. And don't support us just because we're competition. Support us for our value proposition mm. and do something about it. And that's been great for us, actually. We've had those people who are they're not just supporters, they're doers. Uh, and yes, so the relationships on the broking side were vital. What we learned very quickly, though, was that corporate South Africa didn't know us. Mm. <laughs> so when you look at the challenges, that was one of our big challenges. It was, okay, there's no reason why they shouldn't, but they don't know who A2X is. How do we go about building our profile, building trust with corporate South Africa, and educating them to the benefits of what we're doing. And so we learned very quickly that this is not a cold calling game. We leveraged our relationships mm. in terms of our contacts. We got in front of the right people, and then we would be given half an hour to explain who we are and what we're trying to achieve. And the education process was huge because they've only really known one market. They're listed on it. Why would they even think about a second market? Yeah. I mean, who are you guys? So. One of the scary things for us was that, you know, we opened our doors in October, Steinhoff flipping collapsed in mm. December. Mm. So we were now trying to convince CEOs, CFOs, uh, company secretaries of businesses to support us. And, and it's still a very new venture. They would take it to board. Board would say, look, there's no way. We've mm. just got enough to worry about at the moment. Mm. So the first six to seven months were incredibly difficult. But that's where the key stakeholders like ARC helped out tremendously. People started seeing a bit of trade. They started seeing how it was developing. Uh, they understood that you need to have products. And so we got a few big ones over the line. And then we kind of referred to them as the trailblazers. You know? mm. they um, well, they definitely are, aren't the they? The guys who were happy to be trailblazers, they had enough faith in you and trust in you that they were happy to be a trailblazer. And we're at a stage now where we, we can feel the tipping point. So we've had, if we talk about some of the bigger names, you know, Sunlum came on, GrowthPoint came on, mm. you know, we already had, had Coronation, and then we had a nice breakthrough with the likes of a Standard Bank and an AVI, which is huge. So, mm. you know, a Standard Bank sends a, a real uh, message of endorsement yeah, and, and confidence. confidence yeah. And so, you know, that only happened mid-November. And from then, we can already feel the change in terms of the receptiveness to meet and have the discussion. Well, it's amazing what does happen when you begin to gain a certain kind of momentum. Bef before we go there, I want to just go back to the, what I heard you say, and that is that your relationship got you in the door. Your value proposition got you your business. You set me up, it's 100% right. So you can use your relationship to open the door. It, it doesn't make the business happen. You, I mean, that's, that's, that's the value of the relationship. You then get it, this is my value proposition. This is who we are. This is how we're going to work. And this is why you should do it. That's, that's the bit that gets it over the line. But you need to get in front of people. How quickly did your, or did it not? It's an interesting question. How quickly did your sales approach, your proposition, what you were saying change and, and develop? Because often you only learn how to sell and, and how to speak and what to say after you've failed with hopefully not too, too many expensive failures. You're right. You start off with something that you think. I mean, you're, I mean you're your hypothesis, value proposition yeah. is there and, and, and you've got international evidence that, that supports what you're saying, but it's quite theoretical. And I think what we found is it's about iteration. So, mm. okay, we, we, we think we've got 80% of it right. Let's go out there. Let's you know, be aware. Let's listen. 
take those questions back, unpack them, and try and answer them in the next presentation. And you're absolutely right. I don't think I've done exactly the same presentation to any company word for word. Mm. This thing evolves every time I go to the next company because there's a slightly different slant or we've just learned something new or we've got more trade or we've got a, another a fact to, to demonstrate the benefit. So it's, it's always evolving. If you look someone in the eye, if you, if you actually have a conversation with them, the little nuances and signals that they send you are so valuable ultimately to your business because you can have a conversation with someone and you realize we've got exposure here. We've got a big gap. We need to close this or whatever the case is. But there's some real benefits to actually listening. You're absolutely 100% right. And, and, and it's pounding the pavements, as we call it. You've mm-hmm. got to be out there. You've got to be finding ways to get in. When you see them, you've got to have value add. And yes, if you can sit in front of people, some people are, I mean, as I say, user relationship, they don't really want to be there. So it's a much more difficult mm. conversation. Some mm. people love the concept of challenging a monopoly and you get a lot more airtime. And you've got to leverage those ones because when they list, at some stage, the rest of them go, ooh, we, we don't want to be lost yeah, either. Yeah, we're missing What are out. we missing? Why are mm. we missing it? So you position, you position your, your pitch to develop and work on what you have at the time and yes we've just done an advert actually our first very first oh, billboard well congratulations thank you you know it's quite exciting so <laughs> um the billboard goes um you know a secondary listing is of primary importance now that's obviously a play on the primary listing and mm-hmm. the and the secondary mm-hmm. listing and, and we say just ask them and we've taken all the companies we have listed why would they do it right so we're trying to create that sense of you're actually missing out these guys know something and they do. They know this is good for their shareholders. Mm. And they know why it's good for their shareholders. And they know you've got to support it to happen. So, yes. And then we, we picked a strategic place to put it. Um, Middle of Santon. <laughs> correct. On, on, the, on the correct <laughs> corner. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Where most would see it, including our, 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 our key competitor. <laughs> Classic. I need to go and take a photo with it. In fact, that, that would be a really good... That's cover art for this podcast. I think we should go go I'll there. To you. We should go there together and take a picture yeah. of pointing. Uh, fantastic so, news cafe. Okay, that in central. Yep, done. <laughs> <laughs> Super. Okay, so what's so interesting about this conversation is how far it seems like you have come in such a short space of time, albeit the fact that there is hidden time there as well. So there are a number of years before opening doors that had to pass. There was lots of preparation. You open your doors a year on, and you're sitting, I think, in quite a good place. Did you think that this is where you were going to be when you looked 12 months after opening your doors? You, you know, it's funny. If you said to me now, in 12 months, if we said that's where you could be, would you say, yes, I'll take that? I would have, absolutely. Mm-hmm. When you're living it day by day, you are, I think, you're trying harder. You always want more. You want more companies. You want more brokers. You want more trade. So I, I would say that, I would like to be further ahead than we are. I'm very happy with where we are. We underestimated some of the challenges, but I think that's natural. You would never start many of these journeys. And I think as long as you've got the right people and you are listening and responding to these challenges and you're working out the pressure points, the touch points, the motivation points, the incentive points, you can keep it going forward. So, Mm. yeah, would I like to be further ahead? Of course I would. Am I happy when I look at it in the big picture, what we've achieved? I think absolutely, you know... in some ways, when you're in it, you're harder on yourself. Mm. And you always are. 
Can we adjust the, the conversation slightly? I'd like to talk a little bit about you. Often entrepreneurs feel like they're born that way and they're these individuals who just push against systems and structure and you can even identify this from really young. You, in the truest sense of the word, you're an entrepreneur. Is this who you've always been? Have you, if you look back into your life, can you kind of see an entrepreneurial flair that wasn't quite comfortable enough to explore? What's going on so, here? So, I mean, it's a good question. And when one reflects, if I look at the companies I've worked for, the longest periods of time I've always been with companies that are either smaller and are entrepreneurial mm -hmm. or as an investor in terms of, you know, you, you were given a lot of responsibility and, and you had a lot of scope uh, to develop. So I've always worked for those kind of companies. I've never really seen it in, I'm an entrepreneur, I've just seen it in, I can make a difference and I can work within the structure to make a difference because if you're just a small cog spinning crazily, it's not, I, I don't feel my worth in terms of, and, and I think one does need to progress things to, you know, it was hard, I'm out of my comfort zone, you know, mm. you need those type of, of businesses. If I have to go far back enough, my I always wanted to get in business. Okay. I, I, not necessarily always understood why, but I always wanted to get in business. My dad was kind of like, you know, merchant banking, that sexy type thing. Mm. And, you know, it makes me think back. And, and I, my, my, my father tells me the story. He said at the age of six, we were off to Durban. And um, you had packed, you'd, you'd made a bottle of, of like cordial and water, taken some cups. And halfway through the journey, someone said they were, they were thirsty. I whipped out my bottle of, uh, of, of, of cordial and said, and said for five cents you could have a drink. So Classic. in many regards, I think you're right. I always like the concept mm. of, you know, kind of like supply and demand and yeah, I, I, I could it. make a little bit of money. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> you were shrewd even at six. <laughs> Very good. Okay, so there was this entrepreneurial thing going on. Now if you look at yourself, uh, can you own it? Can you say, okay, I'm an entrepreneur now? Or does it still feel a little bit too foreign for you? You, you, know, you? you know, it's funny. It's more about, I'm just doing something exciting. I like working with the right people and having the ability to take it the way we want to take it. So uh, having that input and that, that responsibility. So, mm. you know, I guess yeah, we are entrepreneurs. And I mean, uh, you know, Ashley's a, a born entrepreneur. He's thought he's done his whole life. So mm. I think he's more of an entrepreneur than I am. I think he's bringing the entrepreneurial spirit out in me mm. more and more as we go along. And I, you know, I absolutely love it to be able to take it the direction you believe it should be going and working with unbelievable people. Oh, what's so interesting about your journey specifically is the fact that you will have experienced things in a particular kind of way. And so the difference between uh, starting a business and being the CEO of a business is vast. There's, there's a gap, there's a chasm there. And so what often we see is we see businesses and many recently floated businesses with the founder as the CEO and then suddenly they begin to flounder uh, and it's really, really interesting. I'm looking at you with all your experience. What are your three pillars of CEO leadership? When I look at what we're trying to do, I think you need the right mix of people and skills overlaid with the right culture. Mm. And the way I've, I've approached it... Um, is to say it needs to be inclusive, right? So you need to create an environment where people can act in the best interest of the company. They can have their say, they can have their input. And no one feels that there's politics or something being threatened. So I think you need to create a safe environment for those, those tough discussions, because obviously you don't always agree. 
but you need to you do it in a way that's not political and and i think it's so important to listen to what people are saying and to respect the views and and i mean i've always said it's so easy to preach it but when you as the ceo fly an idea that you think is brilliant mm. and everyone shoots it down that's the test that's the hard bit where you mm. go you know what the logic is against me I'm, you're absolutely right and it's something that actually funny enough you know when i worked at investec i saw with stephen kossoff i found him an, an incredibly inspirational leader for that reason i remember i was at a conference once and they were pitching something i can't remember he's pushing 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 and, and he woke up the next day and he said i'm not listening i've thought about it all night you're right we need to do more of this and we're mm. not doing it well enough and i think that is an important trait that you're not infallible it's actually the mix that makes it work i'll interject here steve yeah. steve jobs is famous for saying you don't hire smart people so you can tell them what to do you <laughs> hire smart people so they can tell you what to do but it's more than that you're also saying the only way to enable that is through a certain kind of culture yes absolutely I, I, yeah i think you've summed it up quite nicely yeah if you get the culture right you can get the best out of people and and i think that's important and i mean someone's still got to make the decisions for the company the best decisions so it, it's as I say, it's collaborative it's not a democracy mm. but it's collaborative and everyone has their say and i think that that's worked really well for us I also think that not sitting in ivory tower has been a very important part of our journey that we can we connect with people right in terms of we get out there we're the ones talking to them it's our business right it's not we're not saying oh we've got a salesperson to go sell to you or we've got this person or that person we're out there doing it because we are in the best position to do it we have the relationships we understand the business better than anyone else is that you remain in touch with what's going on you don't get removed from it and you mm. understand it from the ground up and i think we're fortunate that i've learned an awful lot I, you know you go in thinking you know a lot until you start and you realize how much actually you don't know but you learn you've got to remain open to learning uh, so i think that's been an important part of of what we've done so i've heard two things from you and ready for the third, the, third. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the third one for me is probably you've got to be happy in yourself and in your life i think okay. home work if you enjoying the challenges and you're getting the wins you know you're recharged and 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 life is good and you you're happy at work and you're happy at home and i think too many people forget that um, it's your life it's not just oh well i'm doing this because i want to land up lying on a beach one day i was fortunate enough in my life to have 6 months between jobs i was restrained and mm. I, le- i i sailed i love sailing and i promise you 5 months into it i said look i'm going to get mad yeah time so from my perspective i think you need to be happy in who you are and in your life and enjoying the challenges at work and being happy on both sides there's that that famous story about the stockbroker that goes down to um the bahamas or every guys and he sees a fisherman out there and the fisherman comes in stop me if you've heard it and he says to the fisherman wow you're really good at your job i can help you do this um i'm going to probably hash the story the fisherman keeps on asking what for so why would you help me what what for and and the the stockbroker describes how oh, you can become rich and then you can become powerful okay well what for well then you can get to the end of your journey and you're going to retire and you can lay on a beach and you can fish all day <laughs> and the fisherman says well <laughs> and so there's this great satisfaction that can come out and i've heard it come out strongly through all your comments during our conversation that money is a byproduct rather than a goal yeah the same but i agree i think if you work just for the money it doesn't make you have a happy life you you have to have a happy life and yes you need a certain amount of money to 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 live and and to have enjoyable life 
but it's 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 it comes back to the journey right you, you you've got to enjoy the journey you've got to enjoy the every small success it's got to excite you you know every time we list another company every time we have a better day on trade you just get excited it's mm-hmm. wonderful it's those successes that, that that keep it going so yes that that's the fun and i think i think maybe the the overlay is you, you you've got to have a positive outlook i don't think anyone does this unless you have a positive outlook mm-hmm. you've got to believe that the future is better than where we are now. You'll have more companies listed. You know, the, the economies will be better. The politics will be better. Because you, you are challenged at times. And, you, are, you know, it is hard at times. And you've got to find solutions at times. And you've got to find ways to find solutions. And, and, and um, you know, maybe I can add to that. I mean, that's been one of our challenges is that, you know, you come up against these, these walls. And you've got to find a solution to it. And, yes, you know, you get a bit otherwise and you go and you, get the guys together and you hash and you talk and you discuss and hopefully you find a solution but you don't always mm. uh, and what we've found this is where our chairman has been great throw something different into the mix throw a different expert throw, throw someone in who's from a different side of the business an asset manager a broker an issuer get their take and what we found is that if, if you're looking for that answer and you can throw different experts into the mix or people into the mix it's amazing how often you can come up with an answer. Well, I was chatting to Professor Ben Anderson. He's the CEO of the Da Vinci Institute. And we were, we were just probably busking um, on air. <laughs> and we obviously are not the originators of this, but essentially we were describing how innovation only happens in an environment where there's some form of cross-silo or cross-disciplinary interaction and so it's what you're describing it's a very important part of it looking at it from different angles and that we found that is one of our tricks when we run up to to brick walls that that we can't get through we kind of throw things in the mix and it's not like you don't you kind of go into a scrum for a couple of weeks and you oh this is frustrating how are we going but we've always come out the other side Mm. so you've just said scrum which makes me think about the lean the agile methodology which leads me to the question if you could pinpoint a skill that has allowed you to be as successful as you are today, three years into this particular journey, but ultimately looking at your career perhaps, what would that one skill be that has allowed you to sit here across from me, talking to our future CEOs? Ultimately, I think a lot of this thing comes out to perseverance, that, the whole concept of grit. Grit. If you believe in it, and, and bearing in mind when you start these things, I mean, people laughed at us when we said we're going to try and set up a competing exchange. Interesting. You, you know what? You, you take the knocks, you get back up again, you keep going forward, or you go around it, or you go over it. And, and I guess that would be one of my traits. I'm, I'm, I've got my teeth into something. I, I take a lot of knocks, but I keep going forward. At what point do you say, okay, this is grit, but now it's actually just stupidity and we're not going to get this going? Well, how did you find that balance? I think it came back to something you said earlier. You, you, you need to be able to listen. So it's not about being stupid. You can see that you, I want to go to the top of the mountain, right? You can sit on the side. You can look at it. You can plan your route. You can ask people who've been up before. But ultimately, when you're on the mountain, you come across a swamp or a cliff or something, you've got to come up with another plan. So mm. that, that agility to go around it and to do something about it. So, And, and that is listening. That just, yeah. that, that's kind of just forced listening. You have to listen to your environment. The couple of people we put together, one of the things we look for them not to have is arrogance. Mm. <laughs> so yes, you can be knowledgeable, you can be confident, but arrogant, um, I, I think, you know, people go, mm-hmm, walk away and go, yeah. 
I won't, I won't say it on air, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, it's not a nice, not a nice phrase. Yeah. Right. That person. Yeah. yeah. And actually, you know what I found on that last point is that actually we've managed to get in front of an awful lot of CEOs. And I would say most of them are good people, mm. actually. And, and I think they need to be to engage with their team, to engage with their clients, to engage with the politics, whatever it is. And actually... Sometimes people around them, not so much, but often the guy there, actually, you can relate to, he's a good guy. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So, I mean, I've been fortunate to be doing this interviewing for a decade plus, and people are people, people are human beings, um, but I, I think what you've hit um, on here is that they are human beings in as far as they're able to relate to you and you're able to relate to them, and a massive part of that is listening. Finally... If you could go back in time, because we have run out of time, so I'm, I'm sorry about that. If you could go back in time and speak to you at the beginning of this journey, yeah. what would you say to the future CEO you? It's interesting. We always ask this to people to reflect back 20 years. But in this case, it's three years, but there must have been a phenomenal amount of growth. Well, what would you say to yourself? Sometimes we listen and hear better than at other times. And sometimes we've got to trip a few times before we listen. Mm. Uh, and I guess you know, it's easy to say, look back and say, well, actually, you should have picked that up a bit earlier. And perhaps you could have cut a few months out of your journey because you would have been ahead of where you are now. So I think it's probably those, those, those small things that where you, it's taking you longer to learn than, than, than you would have. You could shorten that gap, that gap by being more aware. Mm. It, it would have maybe accelerated where we are by six months or, or whatever. So... Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough question. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, think, I think we've got a lot of things really around the people side right, and I think that, that's been a big part of what we've been able to get us to where we are. It's such a vital foundation. If you're getting it right there, ultimately it sounds then that the rest of it will follow. Maybe, maybe I would actually tell myself what the lotto numbers were. For the, for the <laughs> that is the first time someone has ever said that on the future CEO show. We're about 550 episodes in. That is the smartest thing <laughs> someone has ever said. Uh, Kevin Brady, the Chief Executive Officer of A2X, the competition to the JSC. Thank you very much for being here in studio with us uh, and allowing us to learn from your journey. And we look forward to seeing you guys go from strength to strength. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for having me and I thoroughly enjoyed the chat. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this, why not join our community? You can go to garethtarmstrong.com and subscribe there. You can follow along on your favorite social media platform or alternatively, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Simply search for Startup of the Week, Meet the CEO, or Ask an Expert. There are a range of conversations to choose from, each as unique and interesting as the last. And many of these are driven by you, our community. They start out as conversations or questions posed, and then it is my absolute thrill and pleasure to go and investigate, to dig, to find out, and then to offer those insights, my discoveries, the little bit that I've learned in the form of a podcast. My name is Gareth Armstrong, and I look forward to connecting with you.